in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Do you guys like that? I've been using that as the intro. I feel like it really works. Um, if you have other suggestions for intros, let me know. 
Paying for dating, a controversial subject. All our media for decades and decades has made it seem like the only perfect romance was one that happened organically, often when the leads were least expecting it. Love is magic. You can't force it or be looking for it or else you're pathetic. And it should be effortless. And chemistry should be something you can't control and you have to go with it, a passive victim. This is toxic. It keeps people in abusive relationships because of some misguided idea that they're at the whim of the universe and fated to be with this one person. It keeps people who desperately want to start a life with a partner or partners from putting in the effort to meet new people and date productively. It's sad. I'm one to talk, though. I've met all of my long-term partners in person. More than one was at a comedy show, and all the meetings were random. I'm an L.A. cliché. Another was at work. Again, I'm an L.A. cliché. My current partner I met through friends when I was hired to be in their music video by the director, who is a buddy of mine. An L.A. cliché. I've had fine and good hookups from dating apps, but never a partner who lasted more than a year. Those were all found out in the wild, randomly. Then again, a lot of those relationships were insanely mismatched. I don't want to discount them because they taught me so much, and a lot of those people are great, but maybe if we'd all come with more transparency? I don't know. I'd probably still repeat the same patterns, although my therapist really tries her best. Regardless, it never hurts to know yourself better. It never hurts to take trauma, mental health, history, and honesty into account when looking for partners. So this episode, we're going to dispel some myths and release some shame. Which is something we often do on this show about money, but now we're going to do it about money and dating. This isn't an advice episode about love necessarily, or a show about navigating finances as a couple, which seems to be a big topic in money media. But rather, this is an episode focused on paying money to date and spending money to find partners. First, I spoke to Bella Gandhi, the founder of the Smart Dating Academy, a full-service program that overhauls your love life big time. Bella and her team crawl into your brain and move your hands like Remy from Ratatouille to make sure you're dating your best. It's basic training. It's boot camp. It's intense, but in a good way? I always enjoy speaking to people who are dedicated to a cause, whatever that cause may be, and Bella, a natural matchmaker in her personal life before she went pro, is deeply committed to finding people a partner using even more skills than I could ever imagine. Should love indeed cost a thing? I think after this episode, it's uh, not that simple. I also want to take a second to note that Bella and I talk about generally what women ask her for when they describe their ideal male partner, and spoiler alert, it's height. As a transmasculine person, I want to point out that if this is a requirement for you, I take a good long look at why and consider the way this might be eh, eh, a little bit transphobic. Just a light suggestion, and obviously if this bumps for you in the episode, know it bummed me out too, so heads up. In the second half of the show, I talked to my friend Allison Raskin, who is my co-host on the Just Between Us podcast and the author of Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression, which is out now. It came out last week. It's a brand new book. Go get the book. Allison shares why she believes in paying for dating apps and her own experiences with professional matchmaking. Plus, she's also here to eliminate stigma, which is what we do at Bad With Money. But first, Bella. Bella. 
Hi, I'm so excited to be here. First of all, Gabby, thanks for having me. I am Bella Gandhi. I am the founder of the Smart Dating Academy, and we are like personal trainers for people's dating lives. So we help we kind of we go deep. We get a little cerebral, like we look for dating patterns. What have we been doing that's working, not working? And then we're like personal trainers for people's love lives, and we hold their hands through the whole process of starting to date in a different way until you might find the lid to your pot. So that's what we do. And we spent, we do online dating, real life. We help people manage all of the pipeline. So we make it fun and inspiring as opposed to lonely and dejecting. Yeah. So what do you, what kind of services do you offer and do you match make people? So we are coaches. So we do in our program, we do coaching, we do one-on-one, which is what we're best known for. So we typically work with people, not on a like onesie twosie ad hoc basis. We typically are working with people in a structured way, three months, six months, or 12 months. So we are in people's inboxes. We're looking at messages, helping them swipe, saying, okay, this one, this is 50 red flags. This dude out. This girl, super adorable. I think she gets a fifth date. So that's how we help people very tactically on the ground. And we do photos. We have templates for people to write the perfect profile. So we have a really unique service that people have said we should be taught this in high school or college so that we wouldn't have these terrible divorce statistics of like 40 to 50% for first marriages and 67% for second marriages and then into the 70s for the third marriages. So that's what we do. So we help people to become your own matchmaker versus needing someone to put people in front of you or maybe enable you to have the same bad patterns as you had before. It's like we teach people how to fish instead of giving them a fish. Do you, do people admit that they're using you? I can't imagine, you know, like to be like, oh, uh, my uh, dating coach told me you deserve a fifth date or whatever. Yeah, people do that. It's like, you know, listen, in in most aspects of our lives, when we reach an elite status, that's when we get a coach, right? When you're a C-suite executive, when you're a professional athlete. And so date coaching is very much the same thing. There are people that like to keep things close to chest. And then there are people that are like, hey, I'm going to wear you know, a sandwich board saying, my dating coach, Bella says, blah, blah, blah. So I've got people, people are all over the spectrum, Gabby. Okay. We're going to get into so much of that. But um, how did you? start becoming a love coach? Like, what is the skill set? It was really, it was kind of tapping into what I was, it was like this strange gift that I had. And I started to discover this when I was in college where I started matchmaking people on gut. I matchmade my college roommate, then my post-college roommate, my friends. I was always the dating oracle, giving dating advice. Every time I stood up as a bridesmaid in somebody's wedding, it's like, she gives the best dating advice. But I have a degree in finance and German, and I worked in M&A and mergers and acquisitions right out of school. And then I joined my family's manufacturing business. And I finally just kind of grew into myself and started my business. 12 and a half years ago, and it was the best decision ever. So what's the skill set for like a coach? What do you need to do? 
typically the people that work with me have backgrounds in psychology. They have backgrounds in mental health. And, um, you know, I have a photographer on our team. We do photos for people's online dating. We've had writers that have worked with us. We have, you know, makeup people that help people to really feel like the best versions of themselves. I refer out to stylists. We refer out to therapists that, you know, help people process traumas that, you know, may have CPTSD from early childhood experiences that need EMDR. So we have this whole repertoire of people that we have either on our team or that we refer out to. Wow. So how do you, who's your typical clientele? How do you find people or how do people find you? People usually will, you know, I have a podcast called the Smart Dating Academy podcast. So a lot of people are, you know, listeners to the podcast that come into our practice. We get a lot of referrals from therapists, from other coaches, from happy clients. So yeah, we're kind of like everybody's, you know, uh, secret tool in their toolkit. So because so many people go to therapy and will ask their therapist, hey, could you read my online profile? Does this sound like me? And a therapist is like, okay, boundaries. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. So they're really happy to refer out to people like us. That's so funny. And media. Media, for sure. I mean, so when you're first starting the company and even now, like, how do you set your prices? How do you know what love should cost? So we price things, you know, there's no coaching is not regulated, as you probably know. So where we started pricing, you know, 12 years ago was different than where we are now. Ultimately, we're a small team and everything we do is one-on-one. So, um, you know, we just kind of figure what are our costs. And I have a business background. So we kind of price this so that we can continue to stay in business and provide people with the level of service that they need and they want to find love. Is it just people who are too busy to do it themselves or who just don't even know where to start? There are people that believe in personal growth, right? They've had they've made changes in other aspects of their lives. And those are typically clients that do best with us. So we don't have people outsource their dating lives to us. We function, if you think about like a personal trainer, like we're helping people like, okay, Gabby, if these are your goals, right, these are the things that you need to be doing to start to have success in the dating world. And those are going to be different steps for you, right? We're giving you the advice, the coaching, the inspiration in the moment. And then you're the one who's doing the thing, sending the messages, going out on the date, reporting back about how the date went. And then taking the coaching around, should you give this person another date or not? What are the mistakes that people are making? Like, what are they getting wrong? So like I kind of first iterated about the divorce statistics, we're doing a lot that's wrong. And I think if people are doing things wrong, I want you all that are listening to realize it's not your fault. You're not broken. We're never taught how to do this, right? There's nothing wrong with you if you need help around this. It's the it's the most important thing you'll ever do is to find the person that you want to partner with. So like if someone was like, you can't game love, like how would you respond to that? 
Yeah, I don't think we can game love. I think like anything big you want to achieve in your life, you have to have goals. You have to know what you need versus what you want. And then you have to have a step-by-step action plan to get there. So things like gaming love, be thinking, oh, I'm a Disney princess and I'm going to be rescued, which comes out of rom-coms, right? And so the things, and then their evolution plays a heavy hand in how we select partners as well. So there's so many factors that essentially throw us off of doing the things that would serve us better. So I'm an advocate for not playing games. The people that come to me are serious about, look, if you want to hook up, go to a bar, you'll find someone to sleep with. The clients that come to us are serious, conscious, and intentional about really finding what we call like the lid to your pot. Like they want their person. They want their other half. So that's a very different process that, that we help people with. Do you find that people think it's like sort of anti-romantic? Like, what, I'm not going to find my soulmate, you know, because I'm use, I'm not like, you know, walking into a bookstore and meeting them or whatever. I don't believe in the idea of soulmates. I've been married. It'll be 25 years, but probably by the time this episode drops, May 17th is my wedding anniversary. And look, relationships are work. Even great relationships are work. And I think when people come in with this notional idea of, you know, romance being swept off my feet, having butterflies in my stomach about a soulmate being perfectly fit and we don't have to work. That's where things fall apart. It's not realistic. Think about friendships. Friendships require work. Friendships have ups and downs and peaks and valleys, and yet we're never taught that healthy relationships, number one, can exist, but you have to choose someone who's healthy and you have to become a healthy partner as well. Do you believe that people should pay for dating apps? Like if you if someone comes to you and they're like, I'm on Bumble, I'm on Hinge, like does it matter if they have premium or not? No, to me, invest in the dating process. There's no there's nothing more important than finding the person you want to spend the rest of your life with and thinking that you're going to not have to invest any time that it should just fall into your lap or any resources, I think is a pretense that isn't serving people well, but I think it's wired into us. I think you're right. There's a stigma. We shouldn't have to do this. Everything should be free. It should just happen. This is also part of what the industry and Hollywood and Harlequin has programmed into us. You're going to go to Whole Foods, meet eyes over mangoes and... And, uh, you know, everything, all the dominoes fall in perfect order. That's just a load of garbage at the end of the day. Yeah. If you wanted to make any big pivots in your life, like if you wanted to change careers, you'd probably, I maybe you'd get a book on how to write an updated resume, or you would hire a resume writer to help you. If you were going to put your house on the market, you wouldn't say, let me take my janky iPhone and take some photos of my kitchen exactly as is and hope somebody's going to pay a million dollars for my house. They're not going to do that. But we don't take the same logic that we take in other aspects of our lives where we want to make changes in the investments and think about our love lives in the same way. That's why so many people stay stuck for decades. How did you How did you know that this could be a company? I'm just so like, like how did you know that that this was something that you could start? Just curious. I'm just curious as like entrepreneurially. 
you know, it was, I'm a one foot in front of the other kind of person. I didn't write some grand business plan saying that, you know, I'm going to hit $10 million in year three, and then we're going to do this and we're going to scale. I was like, can I get a client? (laughs) I didn't start thinking, wow, this is going to be a company. I just started responding to what my clients needed. You know, when I first started, I was like, well, if you want to be online, you're going to need better photos. They're like, well, here's the pictures I have. I'm like, oh my God, who told you those were good photos? Those are awful. (laughs) Right. And it's like, well, these are the five best photos I have. I'm like, you need new photos. They're like, well, tell me where to go. So I started looking into places to get pictures. And this is how my whole business evolved. Like, what do I write in my profile? I'm like, that sounds so negative and caustic. Why are you writing this? And they're like, push their laptop over. Well, why don't you write it for me? So this is how the business literally just grew organically. Why don't people realize themselves what doesn't look good or what doesn't sound good? Because it's ourselves. We can give everybody else advice, but we sometimes can't take our own advice, right? We're not objective when it comes to ourselves for a variety of reasons, right? We have all sorts of biases that flip, you know, that flip things around in our own heads. And I might, I know when I'll look at pictures of myself, let's say my own photographer will do headshots of me, the photos I might think are better are definitely not the same ones that my husband or my photographer or my friends are going to pick. They're all going to pick, and mostly they're going to pick the same other ones, but I'll be like, oh, I don't like how my nose looks in that photo, or I don't like what my tooth look like, right? Because we all have, we magnify our own tics that nobody else sees. I try to do a thing sometimes where I'll be like, okay, I think this is the best picture of me. What do you guys think? And it'll be like, again, like some a totally different picture. And I'll be like, what? 100%. It's just weird, right? And and we all have those things. And again, sometimes they're previous old traumas or just things that we don't love about ourselves and we overmagnify with our negativity bias in our minds and we think everybody sees us the way we see ourselves. And the fact of the matter is they don't. The research shows we don't pick the best photos of ourselves. So we do workshops where we help people. We They submit their photos and my team will be like, these are actually your best photos. And they're like, why didn't you pick the other three? We're like, because you don't look good. And they have no concept of that, right? Because it's ourselves. But they can accurately assess and agree with our opinions on everybody else's photos, but not their own. It's so interesting. And we all do this. Um, You mentioned briefly, like incorporating mental health. How, How do you do that? Everything that we do is really, I mean, the way we search for partners, right? Either it could be old childhood attachment stuff. What we saw with our parents growing up, was it healthy? Was it not healthy? Who were we? Maybe it's our early relationships that you know, kind of set us on the right path or the wrong path. So we really, we delve into attachment theory quite a bit, which informs a lot about how we choose partners, who we're attracted to, right? And so we have workshops called Fix Your Picker. Like, how do you, what is your relationship picker? Who are you picking? And if you're continuously doing the same thing over and over again, you have a pattern and it's probably rooted in attachment. So that's just one example of how we bring psychology into, you know, the common practice of dating. And people are blown away, Gabby, when they take these workshops and they're like, 
oh my God, I had no idea that I'm actually presenting as an emotionally avoidant partner because I thought I was the healthy one and yet I cut bait and run all the time and I exhibit these characteristics. So it's really eye-opening when you bring in this mental health component and how we choose partners we can either repeat what we saw at home or we repel it. And so it's fascinating. I love the work that we're able to do. It's so dynamic and it really, I mean, the results are great and people can find the lids to their pots and it's so fun for us. How do you avoid like presenting a you that isn't really you? Because what if you're like somebody rewrites your profile to be really positive, but then you're kind of a more like pessimistic person or something like that? Well, that's what the dates are for, right? If you can have somebody write your profile, you know, to really kind of maximize the funnel that you want to build and maximize the number of candidates that you're going to have. I mean, for us, we'll call a spade a spade and say, you know what? You kind of present like a Debbie Downer, right? And if you want a partner that's positive and optimistic, right, then you might want to position that facet of you more readily in the real world as well as in your profile. So it's very much, sometimes it's like, well, I'm pessimistic, but I really want someone optimistic. Well, someone optimistic typically is going to want someone else optimistic. So it's kind of speaking truth to power also and and saying, if you want this, right, it's like be the person you want to attract. Understand who you are and who's going to make you happy, right? I did a TED Talk six months ago called The Secret to Finding Lasting Love and how, you know, we should really be looking for the kinds of people that actually make us happy and how we don't do that, how we're wired to look for other things from an evolutionary standpoint, because we've been around for 200,000 years, right? And our brains want to do the same thing that our cave ancestors did. Doesn't always work. What, what kind of stuff? What do you mean? Typically, for example, you know, for females that come to us that are looking for males, if I ask them what, like, tell me about your dream guy, what's the number one characteristic? And I'll jot down everything. You know what the number one thing they say they want in their dream guy is? You want to take a guess? Uh, kindness. That he's tall. I hate it. Over six feet. That is, I hate it. Tall, freaking tall. And you know what? What population of men in this country are over six feet tall? 12%. That means for every 100 dudes, you've just said sayonara to 88 of them when you put in six feet or taller. So it's putting, it's teaching people about this. Like you want that because maybe you're operating from your limbic brain, which says, I want someone who can protect and provide, right? And therefore I want the big burly caveman or cave person. But today we're not looking to flee the saber-toothed tiger anymore, right? Do you really need that? Or question everything. Are straight people okay? Like, they're so, they have, wow. 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 I hear it from all populations. It's not just straight people. So people have their quirks. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Oh my God. I was going to ask like about working with like different cultures or sexualities. It's it's fine if you don't. I was just curious because it seems to be like um, people looking for a specific thing. And, and my friend who I spoke to before was saying that 
the aversion to matchmaking or the aversion to getting sort of help with love is a very Western aversion. Um, and that other populations might be like completely fine with it with no stigma. Um, but like is it – but you think – do you have like coaches for different areas? And, and I, I'm shocked to hear that everyone wants the same thing, which is – horrendous. <laughs> it's crazy. So no, our coaches are all trained in our methodology and people will ask me sometimes like, you know, I am potentially interested in both men and women. I'm like, great. Love is love. And I have people that have two different profiles, looking for a man, looking for a woman, whatever it is you want, you can do through this process. But ultimately you're looking, I mean, the clients that come to us are typically looking to have a funnel, but then to narrow it down to one amazing partner. Right. Do you try to be like, look, we, we got to get rid of tall. We got to we got to jettison that. You know, I what I will tell people is how important is height to long-term happiness because if you think about it, let's just get a little let's get a little crazy. Everybody's the same height lying down, if you know what I mean. Right. Right. Right? Right. It's like it's so wild. I mean, it's <sighs> It's so wild and it's so like just like also as an aside like kind of transphobic in some ways because it's like it just kind of eliminates an entire population of of guy who might be under like might be more likely to be under six feet and it's also like there's this weird thing where like then men are intimidated by taller women which is also like just height in general as being a thing that you see on profiles either as a desired thing or as a thing you've written down is like so confusing to me as a queer person. So I was I was like, is it kindness? Is it sense of humor? And you're like, it's, it's height. height. And like I'm saying, you'd be surprised when you ask someone what, you know, tell me about your dream person, right? And and what people will say, right? You're clearly enlightened and have done your own work where the first thing you say is kindness, right? I wish there were more Gabbies running around the world. <laughs> and it's not limited to any group, believe me. I know, it's, it's so everywhere. Weird. And so, and that's why I say to people, love is love, right? There is, I think, when we want love, we want to feel secure. We want to feel like this person has our back. We want to feel like we can trust this person, that they're consistent, that they're reliable, that they're going to be our personal hype person, our cheerleaders, right? They're supportive. They want what's best for us, right? That's what a great partnership ultimately requires. And I don't care who you are or who you're looking for. It is what it is. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. Where can people find you and more about you? You can listen to our podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcast. So the Smart Dating Academy podcast with Bella Gandhi. Follow me on Instagram at Smart Dating Academy. And you can get into our free newsletter database and hear about the fun things we're up to. Go to smartdatingacademy.com, fill out any form, and you will be entered into our database. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And now our next interview with dating expert and author Allison Raskin. We talk about the perks of paying for dating apps, how to make your dating profile pop even though it might feel uncomfortable, what to invest in going on dates, and her own experiences with professional matchmaking. Hello, Allison. Can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? <laughs> Hello, Gabby. 
Gabby. Um, I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a mental health advocate, and I'm your uh, comedy partner. <laughs> yes. So uh, Allison co-hosts my other show, Just Between Us. Um, but she also has a book coming out called Overthinking About You, which is about mental health and dating. Um, and this episode is about paying for love, paying to find your perfect match. Um, so what is your opinion on people paying to find love? I love it. <laughs> um, so I think that a big problem <laughs> with the way that we approach dating is that we view it as this thing that is magical or mysterious and that all of the tools that we use in every other area of our life suddenly shouldn't apply because we should just, you know, bump into the love of our life on the street. And I think that that's actually been a huge disservice to a lot of people. And I've found that the more that you approach dating with the mindset that you approach having a great career, forming friendships, you know, bettering yourself with that same, you know, commitment and uh, effort, the more you're setting yourself up for success, right? So people will spend money to go to college. <laughs> They'll spend money, you know, on gifts for their families and friends. And so I actually think that spending money to find love makes a lot of sense and a lot of times makes that process a lot easier. It's a gift to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, there's a couple different ways to do it, right? Like there's... um I think the simplest and probably cheapest way to do it is when you sign up for an app like Hinge or Bumble, they will have, you know, paid memberships. And it's, you know, some money a month, nothing too wild, but it allows you to use the apps in a much more efficient way. So like you're not wasting as much time. And if you're not wasting as much time, then you're not going to burn out as quickly. What do those paid parts of the apps get you? You know, I think they're all probably a little different, but, you know, it allows you to have like unlimited swipes. It allows you to see who likes you so that you can kind of like weed through options faster. Um, I think you probably have to look at each individual app to see the different perks, but it just makes it so that like it, it's more user friendly and you're also getting a better sense of who has approved of you so that like it's not just mindless swiping, like you can kind of go in with more specificity. Do you have uh, like shortcuts for what people should do like on their on their profiles, let's say if they're paying for, I don't know, like a match.com where you can write a lot more or uh, like, do you think that like people that are looking for a serious relationship should pay for like a site that lets them write more and what what kind of stuff should you write? Yeah, so I think it's really important to spend time crafting your online dating profile. Like I think a lot of people sort of approach it like, oh, whatever, I'll just throw up these photos, you know, because then it makes them feel less invested in it, which kind of makes it less scary. But if you're gonna do it and the the goal for you is a relationship versus more just casual dating, something that's not your priority, which is totally fine. But if you are looking for a relationship, I think making sure that you have great photos. And so that's, you know, that's 
the thing that's uncomfortable, right? It's like when you're out, you're asking your friend to like take a photo of you because you need it for your profile. Like you want current photos, you want photos that look good, that look like you. It's not that you need a photo that like is a glam shot. You just need a photo that is well lit, (laughs) that like reveals something about you. Maybe that's that you smile a lot. Maybe that's that you play tennis, you know, just like you want to give people like kind of an insight into what your day-to-day life looks like so they can decide if that matches up with theirs. And I also think the possibility of hiring someone to do some photos, if you're someone who gets really uncomfortable asking your friends to take photos of you or uncomfortable taking selfies, like planning a day where you like, I don't know, even if you just like pay a friend like 40 bucks to like kind of like go around the city with you and and take some nice photos. Like I think that that's worth it. That's pretty but like you at coffee, you changing outfits to like be like, look at me at my like gym or whatever. Yeah. So I think that like once you sort of let go of the idea that this doesn't work um, and instead look at the the deep history of how long matchmakers have worked and that like in certain cultures, it is like a really accessible and acceptable way to, to meet a, a match. And also like this assumption that we know how to do it. Why would we? Like why would just a regular person – know how to craft a great dating profile. Yeah, even my partner who I met in real life, I had to work for it. I had to be like, this is the person I want. And then I had to like put in the work. (laughs) Um, We didn't meet on an app, but I, you know, we didn't meet on an app, but I had to like make great efforts towards them in order to like secure them as a life partner, which required like money to go visit them and, you know, various like dates and things like that. So even though, you know, we met in this way that may seem like, oh, you magically met in real life or whatever, it it wasn't just like, and then we were happily ever after. Right. And I think, I think another big thing is, is knowing yourself, right? So if you're somebody where dating really causes you a lot of anxiety, where you overwhelm easily doing it, where you have a really busy life, hiring a matchmaker (laughs) is like such a great option because so much of that effort is now off off of you, right? And like one of the ways people succeed as they rise in their careers is to delegate work for people that, you know, that they're supervising. So why not delegate some of your romantic work onto professionals who are trained to do this stuff? What's your experience been with matchmaking? So I once um, I once joined a pool. So like the one issue with matchmaking is that it can be pretty expensive. But some of these bigger matchmaking companies, they will you won't be their client, but you can join their pool of people that they set their clients up with. So one time I did um, like do a year subscription to be like in the pool, um, but I. I I never ended up uh, connecting with anybody. I There was one potential match, but he kind of lived far away. And I was at a place where I was like, I don't know if that's the right thing for me. But it is a good, more cost-effective option to just, uh, instead of being the client, to be in their pool um, for people to pull from. And then I've I've interviewed and talked to so many matchmakers. And it's I think it's like one of the loveliest professions out there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, these are people whose job is to find you meaningful connections. And I think the one thing to really think about is is 
if you go in and you do end up hiring a matchmaker, the give and take of letting them know what you're looking for, but also being open to what they think might be right for you. How much time should you put into dating? Because I was watching a bunch of videos and it was like, okay, so only do a two hour date. Then I remember when you were dating, you were like, I wanted to do just like 30 minute coffee dates. And then I read this whole thing where it was like women saying, don't accept anything less than a dinner. Like coffee shows that he doesn't care. And like, all. so then I was like massively confused. Yeah. So I think it's really important in order to not burn out and to not have many wasted nights to have a phone call or FaceTime before you meet somebody in person. Because I think that that can really cut out a lot of people that you just don't click with or that like the chemistry is not there. So then you're not dedicating an entire night to like getting ready, going there, being stuck for at least an hour. You know, we've all been there on those dates. Um, So if you match with somebody on an app or if you're using a matchmaker and they matchmakers have different rules, so matchmakers won't let you do that. But, um, you know, on an app, like I would if you if you're you like somebody, they're they're wanting to make a plan to meet up in person, I would say, hey, I would love to just like have a FaceTime first um, and assume it'll be like a 20-minute FaceTime. You can maybe even say that you have something coming up so that you're not trapped in a long FaceTime. But just to give yourself that first barrier of entry, you know, just to be like, is this person worth spending time with in real life? So whatever you could do to ease the process, I think, makes it more manageable. And then if you don't click with them, what do you say? This is what's hard, right? (laughs) It's like um, the best thing that you can do is be honest. And it's so uncomfortable and it's so nerve-wracking. But I think that you can just say, hey, I really like talking to you, but unfortunately, I just do not feel a romantic connection. Um, And I think that that's something that we should have if we were going to keep moving forward. But I really appreciate your time. I appreciate getting to know you and I really wish you all the best. And it can be really helpful actually to have a a version of that message saved in your phone. (laughs) You paid for Match.com, right? I did a long time ago. I I haven't used Match since I was like in my early 20s, but yes, I have. And how was that? Was that like more serious? I feel like Match is always like, oh, I met my husband on Match. I think it is probably more serious. And I also wonder if it skews older. Um, I think a lot of the the websites or the sites that are more online versus an app um, might have older uh, clientele. But I, I, as you know, my go-to, my favorite one is Hinge. I think Hinge is a really lovely app that's designed really well because you can't just say yes or no to the person. You have to say yes to a specific thing on their profile. And that makes it easier to start a conversation or to engage with somebody, right? Because you're saying yes to the specific photo or this specific um, like response that they have to a prompt. And then I think one of the best things that you can do to set yourself up for success is to make it so that people have something to say on your profile, right? Like if your profile is really vague and doesn't have anything to latch onto, it's going to be harder for somebody to like initiate a conversation. But like when I met my current partner, my Hinge profile 
said that like my dream was to one day be a guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is a uh, NPR radio game show. And so it was really easy for him to message me and to say, I love that podcast, but my dream is to one day be a guest on, I don't remember what he said, like the daily, something <laughs> they don't even have guests on. But like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw one recently that was like, talk to me like we already know each other. And I liked, and so like then I saw someone. They were I, I follow like a Reddit for people's responses on Tinder and stuff. And one the the guy was like, "Hey, oh my god, I haven't seen you in five years. How are you?" And like that, I thought was really charming and funny. Yeah, like the best thing that you could do is have fun while you're doing this, right? Because if you're just replying to people and initiating conversations that you find boring <laughs> or that are like so timid and aren't your real personality, it's not going to be fun. But if you go in making jokes, like being yourself, like texting with these people as if they're already your friend, you're going to enjoy the experience so much more. And I find you have to be open to being like honest and vulnerable. Like I used to be like, well, I should I should seem a certain way so I can attract these types of people. But then it didn't like really work with those people. And then I was like, okay, let me make this profile aggressively me. And so like for those that don't know, I, I have a partner, but we're open. And like for me, like my profile's just like I am daddy and that gets the right people. You know what I mean? <laughs> that that it that gets the right ma less matches, but the right matches. And like that's the whole point, right? Like what is the point? of matching with people you're not compatible with because you have misrepresented yourself online. And that's why hiring people who like kind of specialize in this, who like have some knowledge about how to craft a good profile, who will get to know you, get to know how to best, you know, highlight the qualities that you want people to know about yourself is a really great investment. Yeah. I know you gave a, a Hinge premium subscription to our other podcast producer as a present, how do you, is that an insulting gift? <laughs> How do you do that? It's different if they're not on the app at all because they might have some, you know, hesitation and some stuff around it. But if they're already actively using an app, I think that it's like a really great, great way to say like, hey, I'm supporting you in this. I'm so excited for you to be putting yourself out there. And I want to make the process just a little bit easier. You maybe have some credentials, but like you're like, hey, I think these two people I know would be good together. How, should you set them up? How do you set them up? Oh, I love this question. Okay. <laughs> so I think, yes, I think that like we should absolutely be trying to form connections between people that we know that we think might genuinely get along. The only caveat I will give to that is asking yourself why you think they're going to get along. So if you think they're going to get along because they happen to be the only two queer people that you know, Probably not a great idea, right? Or the same two people of a certain background or ethnicity, not a great idea. But if you actually know two people who, from what you know about them and their personalities and their lifestyles and what they want seem genuinely compatible, why not? I think if you're someone who is looking for a relationship, you should let everybody in your life know that. Tell them you're willing to be set up like, you know, it, it's amateur matchmakers, but sometimes that's that's a, a free gift. Right. So like I think it's a really wonderful thing to do. 
<laughs> yeah, I, me and Mal were playing a super chaotic game last night where we were like, which of our exes if do we think would be good together? <laughs> like, which, like, if you had to pick two of your exes who you think might actually make it work, who would they be? <laughs> And why you had to present why. And I was playing it with Drew as well, my other my other best friend. And it was like we it was it really actually made us think about our exes and be like, oh my God, we date the same type of people who like wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't work because everyone has like a uh you pick the same type of person. Like if you date avoidant people, you're gonna put two avoidant people together. Like, no. Yeah, it's tricky, but it's also really fun. I mean, what is a greater gift to give to somebody than to find them a partner? So to like be open to that. And and then in terms of like, how do you go about it? Right. I think, um, I think you can show somebody the picture and give a little background. But I don't think that you should do a huge deep dive into this person and everything about this person. Because one of the wonderful things about dating is is all that stuff unfolding and getting to learn that from the other person. So I think you can be like, here's a photo, here's what they do, here's where they live, here's why I like them, and then let it see if they're interested. Don't overforce it. But if the person seems open, then I really think that's a, a great thing to do. And I also think you can do it with people you're not that close with. Like you would be surprised how people are really open to that. Like it's just no one's asking them. <laughs> but like how flattering to say to somebody, Hey, I like you a lot. I have a friend who I think you would get along with great. Do you want me to set you up? Aw, yeah. Or even trying to bring, not even that aggressively, but trying to bring groups together. Like Drew met her girlfriend through me doing these queer readings. Like just trying to bring different groups of friends together to be like maybe two people will. I love when I have a party and I see two people talking from different friend groups and I'm like, whoa, okay. Even friend setups. I have a friend from college who is still good friends with an ex of mine's BFF because I introduced them because they both love movies and they still hang out even though me and that guy broke up. I love that. So it's like you never know. (laughs) I'm always delighted when I see them commenting on each other's stuff. I'm like, you know what? It was all worth it for these two guys to be friends. My one successful matchmaking experience was a a friend of ours and then someone I met through my ex-fiance. And I'm like, even though that was the most devastating, you know, breakup of my life, at least they're happy. (laughs) They're still together? I think so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it's also, this is also, like, the the girl I was dating in 2015, uh, she was dating this guy for years, and then they broke up, and then she was dating this girl, and then they broke up, and then our mutual friend came back to me and was like, the guy and the girl, the exes, are married. Oh, my God. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, if you were... <laughs> you're probably going to be around people that would also like each other because they like you. And, you know, there's like a similarity there. So I think it makes a lot of sense to match make your friends and to set them up. The The main thing to do is to not put pressure on it, to make it very clear that like you do not have any skin in this game and that if they don't like the other person and if it doesn't go anywhere, that you will not be offended, that like you're not pressuring them, that you're just saying, hey, why not give it a shot? Um, and then see what happens. And if it works out, you get to do five minutes of stand-up at the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> That's the rule. 
that's the rule. If Mal and I get married, Brittany Nichols gets a type five. Um, shout out to Brittany. And uh, so for, okay, to leave our, our listeners, if they're like worried they don't have enough money or they're just like uh, dating is so expensive. Like I remember one of my exes said that he didn't want to start dating be- until his job had paid him like for three months. I feel mixed about it. On the one hand, I want to respect that. But on the other hand, I think there is always an excuse, why not now, (laughs) you know? And sometimes we can kind of fall into that as being the excuse. But if your lifestyle is that, like, you know, you can't afford extravagant dinners, then you need to find somebody who's not expecting that, right? So you need to find somebody who, if your first date is coffee or is ice cream and a walk around the park, they're down for that and they're excited to do that because the main thing is, is them getting to know you. And, you know, I, it, you're probably not compatible with somebody who expects you to drop $100 on a first date. So if you go in thinking about, if you go into dating thinking I'm looking for compatibility versus I'm afraid of rejection, I think that that will change everything because suddenly people who don't, want to date the way that you date, it's it's just proof that you're not compatible with them <laughs> um, versus you having some major flaw. And so especially for these first dates where you don't want to get in that cycle of wasting money on people that you then never even see again, I think suggesting something that doesn't cost money is lovely and I think much more acceptable or normalized now. Yeah, I've had some fun hikes because you just get to talk. Even just with friends, it's been different. Like a friend of mine and I went on a hike because we hadn't seen each other in a while and we just like caught up, you know, and it was like two hours of of walking around. I did stop a lot (laughs) and I felt very (laughs) – it did reveal to him that I uh, was not in the same place he was health-wise, but yeah. (laughs) Um, well, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you more about you? It's so it's so great to finally chat. <laughs> I know I've been meaning to connect with you for years. Um, <laughs> years. Um, my main thing I'd love to plug is is my book, Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression. Um, it's There's a lot of good stuff in there for people who um, either are diagnosed with those disorders or just honestly have a hard time dating and find it kind of anxiety producing. So um, there's also some great tips about how to date productively so that you don't burn out, how to communicate with your partner, um, how to deal with breakups better. So I would love if if people would order that anywhere books are sold. And if you um, pre-order before the pub date, which is May 3rd, you also get some exclusive free gifts. And then on social, I'm at Allison Raskin. And um, my mental health account is at Emotional Support Lady. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Look, am I an excellent ally for having two cis straight women on this gay show to talk about dating? Absolutely, I am. I deserve a medal. But I think even for topics like this, it's important for me to have people on the show who have different perspectives and life experiences. I was interested to hear how people who do subscribe to society's ideal of a partnership or marriage see the future of dating and who eschew the idea of the one, as Bella and Allison both do. It seems normative, but in a way, it's a rebellion. There is no the one. 
There's only who you choose to actively be with and work toward. And that means different levels of spending to do so. And an elimination of the shame of paying, matchmaking, and above all, sincerity. Let's have some God sincerity back. Trying is cool. Wanting is cool. Taking active steps? We know here at Bad With Money that that is cool. Why? Because I said so. I want to hear from you. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Please leave me a five-star review. I love five-star reviews. I need them. I need them like air, like water, like food. And don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Again, five-star review. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Thanks. I love you guys. Bye.